Alrighty, hello everybody, you're listening to Action Line on KINY. We are starting a little bit early today, but that's fine. We'll still go for our usual time. Joining me today, I've got two gentlemen from the Department of Labor. Now, could you both just introduce yourselves to me real quick? Sure, my name's Rob Krieger. I'm an economist with the Department of Labor and Workforce Development Research and Analysis section. I'm David Howell. I'm the state demographer with the Research and Analysis section at the Department of Labor. Alrighty, now, as I'm sure you could guess, especially considering what the Economic Trends magazine for this month is, uh, it's time to talk about everybody's favorite uh, topic, which is housing and rentals. So the first big thing here, and I think, Rob, this is mostly going to be you today, is uh, rent was up by 7% over the course of the last year. Yeah, that's that, that's that top line number. When we look at all the um, the increases that happen across the areas we survey, um, that was the average overall was about seven percent. And let me just kind of back up for a second. Um, this survey that we do um, every year in cooperation with the Alaska Housing Finance Corporation, we've done it going back in some form since 1992, and we survey um, landlords across the state in about ten select areas. We ask them to report their rental costs. Um, we ask them to report their vacancy for the first week of March of every year. So we conduct the survey around the same time in that early spring time frame. Um, we ask them to report on their energy types they use and what utilities they include in rent. And um, um, yeah, and this year we had, you know, the, the, the rental costs that we saw were up about 7% across the board. Gotcha. And then to put that into context for uh, some specific regions for folks, uh, for Juneau, that was about 4%. And then it looks like Ketchikan had the most significant individual at about 16%, which even seeing that, I'm like, that's quite significant of a jump. Yeah, Ketchikan, you know, sometimes with the survey, and especially in smaller areas, we see a number that comes at us. We're not quite sure, you know, what's driving it. But I think, um, you know, last year we saw some pretty big increases across the board. Um, some kind of in that range, and I think Ketchikan was fairly low, so it could just be a catch-up thing that happened there. Um, but 16% is pretty significant, and I think it, it, you know, whether there's one specific reason for that, I, I don't think so. It's probably just a culmination of factors. Okay. And now, what were some of the big reasons that, you know, the, these landlords that you surveyed gave for why rent had gone up? Well, I, you know, again, it, it varies by region or the different places that we survey, and it, it, you know, there's not one specific thing that's driving it. It probably varies a lot by region and specific circumstances, but I think in general, you know, when you see rent increases like this, it's usually a reflection of landlords kind of passing off their costs to tenants in some way, and you've seen um, property taxes going up, you've seen costs of financing going up, um, in some cases utility costs have gone up. These are all things that I think are probably being passed on to the tenant in some way, um, depending on the area. Okay. And now, I, I imagine that, you know, especially for an area like Juno, availability is going to play a pretty big role there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just what's actually out there for folks. Yeah. And Juno's kind of been, you know, historically among the tightest markets in, in any of the places we survey with vacancy rates, usually between 3 and 4%, which is quite low compared to the the overall but yeah it does seem like um this year um you know we we when you look at vacancy rates it's kind of the basic measure of how tight the market is um rents are up vacancy rates are below their historical averages okay and that's not even that's not region exclusive that's pretty much nationally the vacancy rates are quite low yeah in, in fact we're seeing you know national trends are kind of reflect what we saw in our survey for alaska for the areas we survey overall nationally rents are up vacancies are down and that's, you know, that's pretty much what we saw across the board this year. Okay. 
And I know you've said, you know, it varies from region to region and kind of what the big reasons are. But would you happen to remember what the big reason for, for Juno was if we were to stay with kind of within Southeast? I think, you know, Juno is, is always tough. But I, I here again, I think it's probably a combination of property tax issues and um, just our overall market tends to be a lot tighter. And anytime you have tight, you know, lower vacancy rates, you know, the relationship is generally pretty solid over time. Lower vacancies mean higher rents because there's less um, um, competition between landlords for tenants, so they can um, charge a bit more, I guess, in that situation. Okay. That leads to sort of the question of, well, what could be done? Because obviously we want, people don't want rent to be too high because then that makes housing itself quite a problem. And so that kind of, it leads me to wonder what would have to be done for those those rent amounts to go down. The, the policy issue is something where I'd probably have to shy away from, but in general, you know, at some point, rents go up to a point where people just can't afford it, and then they either, um, have to scale down in their expectations for their residents or they leave. And, you know, when we get to that point, I think is, uh, you know, it's hard to say when that will be hit or if it gets hit. Gotcha. And that's where you start seeing that sort of outflow migration from the state. And then that leads into its own sort of chain of various other issues that the state can face. I think probably the most important thing to watch, whether you're talking about rentals or overall uh, availability of, you know, when you're talking on the buy side of things, you know, inventory, you know, trends in net negative net migration are going to be critical because if you see that to start to increase in a significant way in the, in the next several years, then it will start to have an impact on vacancies and it will start to impact inventories and you could see things change quite a bit. Okay. And, then, and you, I think you have a good point, where it is going to be another one of those wait and sees. Obviously, we have the historical rates and values for these. I mean, I'm looking at the, you know, the historical census of vacancy rates. You know, you look back at, you know, like 86, you know, it's quite it's a fair bit higher than it would be now. It looks like back then it was about 16%, and now you look at now and it's about 5.3%. Yeah, I think there's probably, in that time frame, I'd have to refresh my memory, but I think, you know, back in that 80s time frame, you had a lot of kind of shifting happening in the housing market. A lot was happening in Alaska in general with uh, winding down to major projects, and you had a lot of things happening in the housing market. Um, A lot of, you know, that's kind of a period in time when um, houses, you know, the, the housing market collapsed in Alaska. So you had a lot more vacancy, a lot more availability at that point. Gotcha. I also see another portion of uh, this study was looking at uh, the short-term rentals, those Airbnbs and those types of places. Right. I was afraid you're going to ask about that. Um, well, it is a it is a big concern around here, so it was going to come up. It is absolutely a huge concern, and um, we you know we feel that you know if we don't talk about it, people are going to you know say, do they not know that this is happening? Uh, so we've done our our survey doesn't actually specifically target short-term rentals. We are interested in the cost of renting uh, a market rent unit. And we're interested in that because you know what it costs someone to live here plays such a huge role in their decision to, to stay and work here. Um, but when it comes to short-term rentals, it's definitely a new phenomenon. We've tried to identify different data sources that we feel are kind of give us at least some clue as to what's happening. We've found some data called AirDNA, which is a web scraping service that kind of counts um, short-term rentals on kind of the basic, you know, the, 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 the major listing services, I guess. And although we don't have a whole lot of historical context or we can't really frame the issue in terms of how many short-term rentals are making up all of the housing or rental stock in an area, we do know that over the past couple of years, there's a a sharp increase in the number of short-term rentals. And in certain parts of the state, they tend to be more um, prominent, I guess. Kenai Peninsula is a place that stood out. I think it was in last year's article. 
um, because I think a lot of people tend to own multiple properties there. So you have a lot more of the short-term rental um, popularity in that type of a situation. Okay. And in that kind of situation, I think it would then become a matter of, you know, the, the economics of, you know, who's owning all those kinds of properties would play a role as well. I mean, if you're talking, you know, Kenai Peninsula folks are owning more homes, I would argue that it becomes a more of an affluent situation then they can have more of those Airbnbs. You're kind of changing the sort of market of the area. It, it Yeah. It, 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 there's definitely lots of different opinions, I guess, in terms of how... Um, how big of an impact short-term rentals are having. But the reality is we just don't know. And I think as the the issue of taxation becomes more prevalent, you'll probably see more conversations in trying to quantify the number and regulating it in some way. But um, that's going to have to be done at the local level. And obviously each, each municipality or local government is going to handle it differently. Right. And it's one of those things that it's going to, it does warrant that long conversation as hard as it can be. I, I did see your, your sort of change when I asked you that question before you started <laughs> your, your response there. But no, I definitely agree with you. It is a hard one to broach and it is something that has to be tackled at the municipal level. I know there's been discussions about that with CBJ for the last couple of months now. Yeah, I think Sitka too, and, and maybe even the peninsula as well. It's it's starting to get a lot more attention, I guess. And when you have that, there's going to, I think the first real step is going to be like, um, an attempt to just get out there and try to get a sense of how many there are. No, definitely. And when you're trying to you know, get a sense of how many there are, that leads you into what is the perfect topic of the, the rest of the Trends Magazine that we're going to hit in the second half of the show here, which is actually you know housing availability, because I can see that the actual amount of new home construction has also declined over time. And you, Rob, you can still speak on this because we only have, I think, about 20 seconds left in this first half. Yeah, that's certainly a contributing, what we think is a contributing factor to tight vacancy rates and higher rents overall is just the lack of um, building activity over the past, you know, well, for quite many years, over a decade now. Gotcha. And with that, we are going to move into our break. When we come back, we'll be talking with David a bit more about housing in general and then even sort of combining what we've been talking about. You've been listening and will continue to be listening to Action Line on KINY back with more action line like okay, and why now during the first half of my show with the department of labor we were talking a lot about rent prices so now we got to talk about the other half of that equation which is how households have been changing so david i understand this is mostly your article so where would you like to really start on that topic um well <laughs> uh, so i guess this article kind of came about like we get a lot of we talk a lot about how the population has grown in alaska uh, since the 1960s, you know, with the pipeline in the 70s, oil money in the 80s. But we don't really talk about how the housing market had to grow in order to accommodate that population. So it's kind of interesting that between 1960 and 2020, the number of housing units actually grew faster than the population. Um, and this is just because, you know, Alaska is such a young state at that time and that we had to catch up with what was going on. And so we just saw this big amount of growth in the amount of housing that the U.S. didn't really see because they were an already established population, whereas we were growing so much. Okay. And I think that's a good point because, you know, you think about how many folks, you know, they're like, oh, my grandparents were the ones that first moved up here. And then you mm-hmm. you stick around after that. And so it's really that establishing phase. But I think it's also interesting in the fact that that's what's led to, you know, a good number of multi-generational homes within the state. Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. You know, in the 1960s, 70s, Alaska had a much smaller percentage of multi-generation homes. And that's just because those grandparents, they were the ones moving up here. So they're the grandparents now. But at that time, their parents still lived in the lower 48. So you have these people moving up for work who decide to stay. They have kids. 
Um, so you have, you know, that two generation household, but we didn't really have many of the three or more generation households, at least outside of the Alaska Native population. The Alaska Native population uh, has long had a pretty large multi-generational uh, household structure, and that's just because they're a more established population in the state. Most, I definitely agree with you there. And even, you know, as a younger member of a younger generation, you know, that's how it was for, for me for a little while because my parents' current home, which was the home I was in, you know, my last year of high school and when I wasn't at college, you know, my grandmother lived there and my parents lived there and then I lived there. And so you had that there. But then even when I was in school, you know, you would see it. It's like, oh, yeah, you live there. Your grandparents are there. You might have, you know, aunt and uncle, a couple other folks that are, you know, there. And that became quite common. But I can see why that wouldn't have been, you know, anywhere near as common back in the day. No, I mean, so many people were just moving up here purely for work. So, you know, you come up here by yourself or as a couple. Uh, Alaska draws a lot of younger migrants. So people not necessarily having kids when they arrive, but having them once they arrive and get more established. Gotcha. And then uh, this also kind of ties into the flip side of the renting thing. You know, there's more people who want to actually own their homes now versus back in the day where that might not have really been an option. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in the 1960s, we actually had more people renting than owning at that time. But now we have more people owning than renting. And this is just, as you mentioned, people move here, they accumulate some amount of wealth and then decide to purchase a home. They settle down, that sort of thing. Uh, And, you know, in the 1970s, Alaska's population was so transient that these people might not have been looking to buy because they were only here for a set amount of time for some certain project like the pipeline. And then they were going to leave the state. That was their plan all along. So... Um, As the population has become more established, we have more and more people owning homes. Gotcha. Now, one thing that's got my attention a bit that I can see here is the increase in group living uh, as opposed to when it was uh, really just group living in general, because obviously that is something that has actually become quite big with my generation. But according to your study, that's actually been around for quite some time. Yeah. And I guess group living in this circumstances might be a little bit different than what you may be thinking of. So not necessarily like a roommate situation, but actually living in what we refer to as group quarters, which is a shared living facility such as a dormitory or like a military barracks, a prison, that sort of thing, um, is more what this refers to. And this has been very common in Alaska compared to the rest of the U.S. just because, especially going back to the 1960s, 70s, we have, you know, these man camps for logging. We have uh, essentially man camps for like pipeline construction, huge military presence, so lots of people in barracks because we don't have the housing. And so we have these people in these group quarters facilities where they live, um, you know, together. Actually, it is exactly what I thought it was. You know, it's oh, okay. the, the not having enough housing. You know, that's why, well, you yes. know, yeah. the folks my age have that, like, you know, roommate situation. It's mostly, so it's like you can have enough people to afford to be where you're at. Absolutely. And so that certainly plays a role into that. And I think this is the point where, you know, your two studies kind of combine here where it's like, okay, well, there is that increased housing. There's not as much of it now. And then even with that housing, it leads into you having to rent. And so where would you say is like a key point of crossover between your two studies? I think one thing is that, you know, between 2010 and 2020, this was the slowest amount of construction that we saw for housing units um, across the period, uh, just by percentage and just sheer numbers. Um, Another thing that's driving up this change is that, well, where they cross over is that we we see the population that actually lives alone in a home has been increasing greatly. And so that takes housing units off the market for, like you say, people trying to find a place to rent who maybe have uh, a bunch of friends or something trying to move in together. Instead, there's just one person living there. And that kind of comes with having a little bit older population um, just kind of more likely to be in their home by themselves. 
and the lack of building activity, I think it, it impacts rentals because there's not not many new there's not new units coming online, but it also affects home buying too because you have you know that's keeping inventory fairly tight as well. Okay, and then it once again gets my brain into pondering mode of figuring out, well, what do we do then to sort of tackle that issue? Does it become a matter of do we get more, you know, housing units established? Do we increase the housing market again? Or do we do something about rent, which then gets into policy and stuff that I know you wanted to avoid. So I'm not going to push you guys on that. It's just <laughs> crossing my mind. Yeah, I think, um, well, even, you know, whatever policy is out there, even if you were to make it a lot easier to build and, and kind of incentivize that, you know, you're still looking at a labor shortage. So it, I think that's probably another barrier that we have now that we wouldn't have had several years ago. Yeah, and then, then you factor in the labor shortage that factors into the housing problem. It becomes it becomes a very cyclical issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it becomes a matter of trying to find what the root cause really is in that sort of circumstance and what we could do about it. For sure. And so I think another question I'd have for the both of you, and you can answer in whichever order that you choose, you know, when we're talking about housing, we're talking about rentals, it then becomes a matter of how is that affecting us, not even just on a regional basis, but it may be across the economic spectrum. Did you guys look at that at all in either of your studies? Um, I'll take a stab. You know, it, it's it's hard because it, it, if you know, rental increases or the cost to buy a house or, or affect people so differently. Obviously, I think right now, when it comes to home purchasing, um, you know, housing affordability is probably the at, at the forefront um, with interest rates as they are and prices at still at kind of record highs and limited availability. I think first-time buyers are probably going to be the most impacted by things that are happening in the housing market. And that's also contributing to tightening in vacancy rates because normally you would have um, a certain percentage of the rental population moving to home ownership. And I think that um, a lot of those people who aspire to, to buy homes now are kind of on the sidelines waiting to see what's going to happen. I think that will definitely continue to drive you know, the vacancy rate down because you're going to continue to have these people who are wanting to move out of their parents' house. And then you have these people who are stuck in these rentals they can't buy. Uh, you have people... Or fortunately myself, I bought at a lower interest rate, so I'm kind of locked into the home that I'm in. I can't really even think about moving because the interest rate would double if you were to move. So you have these homes that are locked up and are going to be locked up for quite some time. So it creates like a stalemate almost, I think, in, in, in the market. Okay. I think that's the first time I've heard it described like that as a stalemate. I think I might have to borrow that. <laughs> that might be too extreme of a word. I guess what I'm trying to say is things are just kind of stuck for a while well i mean stuck and stuck is also kind of a strong word too yeah yeah it doesn't have just doesn't have as much connotation as stalemate does i think <laughs> is what you're going for there i'm gonna get it for this <laughs> <laughs> but no i think that's a very important part that you both mentioned you know the fact that it's like you walked in you basically walked locked yourself into the house you've got now because the interest rate was lower and if you were to try and leave now it would be higher and then it might not you might find yourself in a situation that's not as affordable and then you factor in you know with the market being so small you're based in a situation where you're stuck renting where you've got because you can't go rent anywhere else and so it just it'll it is a problem that needs to be addressed i'd say but it's a matter of figuring out how that needs to be done yeah no easy answer No, but that's why we have to have these conversations. And so maybe this will also put some ideas in uh, our listeners' ears, as I'm sure folks are listening right now. You know, talk to your elected officials. See what can be done to sort of tackle housing. And when you do that, make sure you give them actual options and don't just yell at them. Because I can tell you from experience, just yelling at them will not solve the problem. It'll just make them kind of avoid the problem longer. 
But I think on that note, I think we will wrap it up. I think we've hit a lot of good points today about, you know, housing and rentals. And I'd like to thank you both for your time. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah, thank you. All righty. You've all been listening to Action Line on KINY.